we're going to be finishing up our short series in, um, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and in two weeks, we're going to get back into the Gospel of Luke. That's where we, we were in the springtime. We take a break in the summer. We'll be back, but we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6. So grab your Bibles. Hope you have them. Grab your Bibles or look at that phone, light up that screen. Let's see the glory of the Lord shine off your face. Reed is going to come up and read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with, which, with which can you extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God's word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this portion of scripture, very familiar to all of us here. But I pray we would see it afresh, that your spirit would work in our hearts, Lord. And what we have not, Lord, that you would make us. What we know not, that you would teach us. And what we are not, Lord, you would grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, great. As you guys know, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, again, we've been in this kind of high view uh, going through the book of Ephesians. And Beck kicked us off talking about being seated in Christ. And he went over Ephesians 1 through 3 and that. That seated with Christ uh, refers to our identity, who we are as Christians. We are adopted sons and daughter of God the Father. We have been united with Christ. The, the book of Ephesians could be themed up with this theological theme called union with Christ. Because as you look and read through the book of Ephesians, you see all the time, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We have been united to Christ Jesus through the gospel. And, and this union with Christ is because God the Father has predestined us and chose us to salvation. God the Son has redeemed us. Uh, his act of obedience, He lived the perfect life in your place and mine. On His past obedience, He died on the cross for your sin and mine, and then He rose again. And then we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit sealed our salvation and seated us, seated us with Christ. That's who we are. We are seated with Christ. That's our identity. We've been united with Christ through the gospel. And then last week, Chad Barlow looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And he talked about living out our identity. Not only are we are unified in union with Christ, but then we, we walk in the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit. We walk or live out our identity. 
And we have been seated. If we have been seated and united to Christ, then we will walk and live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the, the last theme in the book of Ephesians, and that's stand. First, we are seated in Christ. That's our identity. We walk uh, in the power of the Spirit for Christ. And then finally, we stand in Christ. We stand in Christ. And what we do is we put on the full armor of God. And this is a very timely study for us because if, unless you've been living under the rock, as you look at our culture, as you look at our world, I mean, it's like the question must arise in your heart, like, how did we get here, right? Are we the, am I the only one? But as we look at our world, our culture, what's happening even in our city of Fort Collins, like, man, how did we get here? Well, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 gives us the answer, the explanation, and then also what to do about it. What to do about it. So I'm excited about doing going over this with you the next couple of weeks. We're going to break this up into two parts. But if you were to go down to Old Town this afternoon after the gathering and ask people, hey, I got a question for you. Stop on the street. Hey, I got a question for you. Let, what do you think about spiritual warfare? What do, what do you think about Satan? What do you think about fallen angels called demons? What do you think about angels? Do you think about all that? What kind of answers do you think you would get? You'd probably get as many answers as many people you asked the question to, right? They'd be all over the map. But typically there's going to be two kind of bookend theories or thought process on how people view spiritual warfare in the, in the spiritual realm. First, you kind of have the ultra... Amen. First, you kind of have the ultra spiritual, right? That what they do is they see a demon behind every stinking bush. Everything, every time they fall, every time they sit, it's like, man, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, right? You could be driving down the road, get a, get a flat tire, and all of a sudden they'd be like, man, you need to bring that car over, and we need to cast out the demon of flatness in your tire, right? And I'm like, no, man, you probably just need to go to Discount Tower, you know, Tire Company and get, the, get them to pull out the nail, right? So that's one group. The other group is those that were like, don't believe. Demons, Satan, the devil... Angels, it's fairy tales, it's fables, it's myths. It, 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 they're about as real as Pinocchio. And so you have these two extremes, but then everyone else kind of falls in the middle. How about you? How about you? What if we asked you that question? I'm going to ask you that question. How about you? What do you think about when you hear the word spiritual warfare, the phrase spiritual warfare? What do you, what do you think about when you hear about Satan, fallen angels, demons? Well, they're real, as we know. And we're going to see this. And Paul gives us uh, guidance into that. But one of the best lessons that I learned when I first came to know Christ back in 1990, when I was a young Christian, was that we are in a spiritual battle. And who our enemy was. In fact, I read this book. This might have been the first book I read ever without any photographs in it. But it was called William Grinnell's. It was a three-volume set. It was about a 1,000 pages. And it was The Christian in Complete Armor. It was written by a Puritan like in the 1600s. And I could tell that I'd just come to faith because I read a book like that, you know? It wasn't like Sports Illustrated anymore. And then I listened to the sermon series by John MacArthur on Ephesians chapter 6. And it just impacted my mind and my heart and my walk with Christ. From the day, from almost the day that I came to know Christ, we're in a spiritual battle. And not only are we called disciples, not only are we called servants, but also the name over you and me is warrior and wrestler, fighter. 
We see that in Ephesians chapter 6. And not only that, not only are we uh, called to be warriors and wrestlers, but it also showed me right off the bat that Christianity is not to be lived out on a playground, but a battleground. That's how we attack this world. That's how we attack our faith. Not, not like we're in Disneyland on a playground, but we're on a battleground. We're in a warfare. There's a real enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, and we need to be on the alert. Well, this morning we have a great reminder of this battle that we are in, and it's called, and we're called to be strong and stand firm. Now, again, I'm going to break this up into two parts, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We're going to cover verses 10 through 13 and kind of add an air war. Just remind us we're in the battle. Remind us of some principles that we need to be locked and loaded in right now. And then next week, I'm going to teach through verses 14 through 20 and kind of get down into the nitty gritty and what that really looks like. So first, to be strong and stand firm, we need strength for the battle. We need strength for the battle. To be strong and stand firm, we need strength for the battle. Like, again, I asked you that question. When, what do you think about Satan? What do you think about demons? What do you think about spiritual warfare? When most people hear about spiritual warfare, maybe even you, the first thing you think to your mind comes... Casting out demons, exorcisms, right? Demon possession, like Jesus did in the Gospels. And this is definitely a part of the spiritual battle. This is definitely a reality. But in Scripture, it's really rare. It's really rare. It's not the norm. In fact, mostly when you talk about demon possession or casting out demons is in the Gospels and outside the Gospels in the New Testament, maybe in Acts, there's a couple places. But outside that, the rest of it is silent about demon possession and casting out demons. In fact, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. This is the greatest section of Scripture on spiritual warfare, and it's not even to be found in there. Casting out demons, exorcisms, something totally else is. And so that's probably why we don't think about it a lot. Because one, we think about that and we think about Jesus, but when we look at our lives, it's like, man, how many, how many, how many people are we coming in daily contact with it are demon-possessed, not many. So we can tend to forget about it. We tend to get our theology also from the movies, from Hollywood, right? When we maybe you hear, what do you think about spiritual warfare? Demon, you might think of like some of us that were around in the 70s, like The Exorcist, right? There's a new movie out with Russell Crowe in it that, that looks awesome, but I'm like, I ain't going to go see that because I understand the reality of that. That thing is real, called what, the, uh, the priest's exorcism or something like that? Anyhow. There have been books written about kind of Ephesians 6 because there's some mystery around the warfare that we have. Uh, we can go, all, go back to C.S. Lewis and his screw tape letters in the, I think, mid-90s, maybe early 2000s, I forget ones. But This Present Darkness was another book written about spiritual warfare. And then there's another one that, that's come out um, recently that I'm actually reading right now called The Nefarious Plot. And it kind of goes into spiritual warfare and how it looks around us. And again, they're fictional stories, but it helps us to think about how do we answer that question? What do we think about when we think about spiritual warfare? But again, the norm is not demon possession and casting out demons, but there is a very real fight that we fight on a daily basis. Spiritual warfare is real. And when we look at the scriptures, every one of us are daily in a battle. And we're in a battle on two fronts. On two fronts. Again, this is air war. This is kind of getting us mind right. The first front, we are a spiritual battle internally, if you're a Christian. Internally, if you're a Christian. It begins with our own hearts. 
Uh, before Jesus, whether you knew it or not, you and I, again, were we aware of it or not, were on Team Satan. We were following after our father, the devil. The kingdom of darkness is what we were living for. Ephesians, we turn back and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. <clears throat> and you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. We once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and were, this was our identity, we were nature childrens of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, all humanity is in one bucket. We're following our father, the devil. But then the good news, Ephesians 2.4, but God, but God being rich in his mercy, he loved us, he saved us, he raised us up and seated us with Jesus. And we received the gospel by faith. And when we did that, we were transferred from the, from, the dark, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are now on team Jesus. And now we have a very real enemy known as Satan and his demons. And then at that point, the fight got really real, didn't it? I want you guys to think about when that happened with you. When you came to saving faith, when you crossed over from death to life, something changed inside of you. All of a sudden, you're lifestyle, some of the characteristics and some of the ways that you thought were you, you should live and that were good, all of a sudden you saw were evil and wicked and bad, right? This is what Galatians 5 talks about. It talks about the war between the flesh and the spirit. And when you come to Christ, all of a sudden there's a battle that's happening inside your heart between the spirit and the flesh. James chapter 4 also talks about this war within. And then also 1 John 2 kind of sums it up. This war summed up that there's a war between the, the spirit of God that indwells us and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know this battle internally, just like me. For me, one of the, the biggest changes immediately was my language and my anger. You guys know I played baseball as an athlete and, and man, I cussed like a sailor. I got frustrated easy. And as soon as I came to faith, all of a sudden I felt this, oh, oh there's a change in my heart. That's no longer good. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. All of a sudden, the Lord got a hold on my tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it wasn't cursing or, or anger or frustration, but it was, it was like love and joy and encouragement. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? You know that feeling. It's happened to you. So there's an internal battle, but there's also an external battle, an external warfare that we fight, that we engage in. And this is where Satan comes in. He's the... He's the external force. He's the one that's coming from outside of us to attack us from the outside. Him and his minions, his demons. And he's also created, he's called the prince of this world. So he's kind of created his philosophy of life and he's, he's infiltrated every aspect of our world. He's infiltrated it with earthly and carnal and demonic wisdom. The philosophies influence everything from nations and governments to, to leaders, to cities, to industries, to organizations, to even individuals. And not only out there, but he's also influenced the church. He's also gotten into the church as we looked at a couple weeks ago when we looked at Jude chapter one. So just to start off, when we recognize when we think spiritual warfare, we need to think of it on this, these two fronts. There's an internal battle that we fight, and then there's an external battle that we fight. And Ephesians 6 addresses both. 
We'll look more in particular next week to the, again, the nitty gritty of how that works out. But so it's not only internal and external, but also look at this. It's just not also out there somewhere. You know, it's not like just in North Korea or somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in Africa or even in Washington, D.C. You know, it's just not out there. It's at our doorstep. It's in your home. Look back at Ephesians chapter five at the end of chapter five and six. It's no mistake that Paul begins spiritual warfare on the heels of what it looks like to be filled, led, guided by the spirit. This is what a godly husband wife relationship looks like. This is what a godly parent son parent you know, child relationship looks like. Relationships outside the family. This is what it looks like to, to have a godly work environment. There, there's no mistake. There's no accident that Paul just went from that to spiritual warfare. Because spiritual warfare begins in our, in our hearts. Spiritual warfare begins in our marriages. Spiritual warfare begins in our families. The enemy wants to attack our relationships at school, at work, where we live, work, and play. And he's not shy about it. He's, he's let us know what his plan is. John 10.10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he's all about. And that's how he's attacking us. He also knows this, his time is limited. Jesus won the victory on the cross. He knows his time is limited. He doesn't know when it's coming, but he knows his time is limited. He's going to have an ending to his reign here on earth. And so he's going to try and take as many people to hell as he can with him. He also knows that he can't undo your salvation and my salvation. He can't snatch us out of Christ's hands. If we are in Christ, we are believers in Christ. We believe in him by faith. The devil can't touch us. He can't snatch us can't lose our salvation. We are eternally secure. Those that God predestined, He's going to glorify. We're all going to make it. So He knows He can't do that, but what He tries to do otherwise, He tries to steal your joy. He tries to steal your peace. He tries to steal your security. He tries to kill your marriage. He, he tries to destroy your relationship with your son. Your daughter. Your relationships at work. Your relationships at school. Your relationships on the team. He is an enemy that's hell-bent to steal, to kill, and destroy. And you and I are his targets. This is where you and I have to be aware that we're in the battle. It's just not out there. It's close. It's internal. It's external. This is what we're going to Remember today. So let's reassess. Let's understand that each of us are in a daily, personal battle. And let's engage internally. Let's fight the fight internally between the spirit and the flesh. And let's fight it externally. And here's the good news. We are fighting from a position of strength. The battle's been won, as I already said. We are fighting from the, the position of victors, not victims. Our identity in Christ is we are one. We are seated in the heavenly places already, but not yet. We are victors in this world, not victims. 
So let's fight from that. The victory has already been won. So we can have, yeah, we can have a little, hey, victory drink. It's a little victory champagne. Great. Yes and amen. We can celebrate the victory, but the job is not done yet. The job is not done yet. We still need to fight because there are marriages that need to be saved. There are relationships that need to be healed. And there are image bearers who need to be redeemed. Amen? And you and I are the warriors. We are the wrestlers. We are the ambassadors that have the message of the gospel that transfers image bearers, men and women, children, from the kingdom of gardens, the kingdom of life, to the proclamation of the gospel. So now, those are the air war. Now let's get a little bit down a little bit. We see the first command in 610. For that to happen, for us to be successful fighters, successful victors, we need the Lord's strength. Can't do it in our own strength. We need the Lord's strength. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Here Paul is co commanding us. After everything that he's talked about in the first five chapters, we're seated with Christ. We walk with Christ. And now we, we war. We stand with Christ. We need His strength. You see, this is primarily a spiritual battle with physical implications. And the, and, the, and the tendency is, is for us to forget about the spiritual and try and fight this war in our own power, in our own flesh, with our own strength, with our own wisdom, with our own resources. And guess what? We're foolish if we do that. We're going to be eaten alive because this battle primarily isn't physical, it's spiritual. And we need supernatural power that comes from the Lord. This phrase, finally be strong in the Lord, it's not like we can muster up this own strength in ourselves. The verb here is passive. This is strength that comes from outside of us, from the Lord, and we just receive it. So another way you could phrase it is being strengthened in the Lord. You and I are strengthened by the Lord through His Spirit and through His Word. We don't have this kind of power in us ourselves. It needs to be given to us and it is through Christ. That's the good news. We have it. If you've been seated, if you've been united with Christ, you have this power. John 15. You guys know John 15, right? I am the vine. Jesus says you are the what? Branches. Apart from me, you can do everything, right? No. He says apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? Because you don't have the power to. But if you're united to me, if you're connected to Jesus, then we have His power. Christ's power indwells us and we will overcome and bear much fruit. So that's the good news. You and I have the power. It comes from outside of us. It's, it's found in Christ. Again, we see it. We receive it through His Word, by His Spirit. He uses both of those things to empower us to fight the good fight of faith. And when we are empowered by that, we will be able to stand and we'll be able to do all things through Christ. Because he strengthens us. Amen? As Philippians 4 says. Remember, remember David and Goliath? You guys know that story, right? David and Goliath? This is, this is exactly what happened with David when he went up against Goliath. Remember, David was just a little guy. He was just a little peanut. He was a little shaver. He was a youth. And, and he's going to go fight against this massive giant, the Philistines. In fact, he was so big, so nasty, so terrifying that all of Israel were like, I ain't going out there. And here comes little David, little shepherd boy, comes up and be like, yo, I'm your guy. Saul looks at him. I'll get paraphrasing a little bit, right? Give me grace. <clears throat> Saul looks at him and be like, no way, man. No way. No shot. We're not putting you out there as our representative. And David says, whoa, Saul. 
He said, the Lord has put me over flocks of sheep. And when the bear came, took him out. When the lion came, took him out. Not because of the strength in me, but because of the strength of the Lord. And he tells Saul, he says, I am confident that the Lord this day will deliver me. He was strengthened in the Lord. Psalm 144 gives us a little bit more insight to this. Psalm 144, 1, David said this, Blessed be the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He understands it's not about his physical capability. It's about the Lord training him. It's about the Lord infusing him with strength. And it's the same with you and me. If we are going to engage in this spiritual battle, we must be strengthened by the Lord first and foremost. Are you in a battle right now? Are you are you in a warfare right now? Are you struggling right now in your life? You, you can't seem to overcome it. Maybe and this is not the only reason, but just maybe. Are you trying to fight it in your own strength? Your own wisdom? Your own resources? I know this all too often because I do that. And then I feel like, man, I'm losing the battle, Lord. And then finally I'm like, oh, wait a second. I need to be strengthened by the Lord. I should have began on my knees and my dependence on the Lord through prayer. And asking the Lord to, to give me wisdom through His Word. To give me strength through His Spirit. And then I can fight. Then I can stand. So think about your life. That leads us to our second point. Second. To be strong and stand firm, we need to understand our enemy. Not, not, not only do we need strength from above, supernatural strength, because we're in a supernatural, spiritual battle, but we need to understand who we're fighting against. Look at Ephesians 6, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So the first command, be strengthened, was a passive verb. That is something that's happening to us. This verb, this command is active. Aaron, put on the armor. You guys, Christian, put on the armor. Put on the armor. And notice it says the whole armor of God. Not just in part, not just some, not just, hey, my shoes now, my breastplate tomorrow, helmet maybe, you know, whenever. No, put on the full armor right now. Put it all on. Why? Because, look at the purpose, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And again, we notice in verses 11 and 13, even they're booking the second command by, they both say, put on the whole armor. And this is why. Because you need to be able to stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Withstand the evil day. Having done all to stand firm. <laughs> I was thinking, like, man, how can I illustrate this? Well, I got a perfect illustration. It was, it was my freshman year in college, playing baseball playing against the, the number one team in the country, the University of Arizona. And uh, I was at the University of New Mexico, and I got my first start, second, second game of the season, as a catcher, as a catcher. Now, this is a big deal. As most of you guys know, I, I grew up in Arizona. I could have went to U of A to play baseball and football, but I chose not to. I wanted to get out of the state. So here we are, back in Tucson. we got thousands of people in the stands. 
friends, family. I get my first start. I am jacked. I am so fired up, ready to go get my first start. I got my helmet on. I got my shin pads on. I go out. I go in there. Uh, you know, the, the bottom of the first, and I'm catching. Pitchers warming up. You know, and the coach is like, uh, "Hey, uh, Santini." I'm like, "Yeah, coach." Did you forget anything? I'm like, no, man, I'm ready to go. And I looked down, and I didn't have my chest protector on. So here I am out there, not fully armored. I didn't have my chest protector on. And I had to play it off. It's like foolish. I was like, oh, coach, I'm just sending them a message that we're ready to go. You know, I'm tough. I don't need that. That would have been foolishness for me. I had to put the armor on. And I only played a catch a couple more times, and they said, we better put Santini at shortstop. So that's where I ended up, right? So... But you don't put it all in part on. You put it all on together at once. And if we're not alert, if we're not aware, or if we're distracted like I was, and we don't put on the whole armor of God, it's going to be a long day for us in the battle. And here's the thing. The idea here, too, is once you put it on, you never take it off. It's on you all the time because the enemy doesn't rest. He doesn't take days off. He's up 365 days a year, 32 weeks, 24 hours, never rest, always attacking. We need to keep the armor on. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about the specific pieces of the armor next week. So let's look at the purpose now. Notice the purpose in verse 11. To stand against, in verse 13, be able to withstand, having done all to stand. You see, there's more, there's more, to standing than just being still and acting like a brick wall. That, that's not the idea here. There's more to standing and being. It's also not only defensive, but it's also offensively. If we are going to, ex, we're going to stand effectively. If we're going to be strong. First, we need strength from the Lord. So that means we need to, to be praying. We need to be having the spiritual disciplines going on in our lives. We need to be praying. We need to be in God's word. We need to be encouraged by others outside of us for God's word. Uh, we need to be preparing by understanding our, our enemy and, and what he's like and what his schemes are and how he operates in our life. We need to have the armor on and make sure we put all the armor on and we don't leave off any pieces. We got to do the training. And then we got we got to fight. And then we fight. We're going to we're going to gain ground. And when we gain ground, we we, we stand firm there. We don't lose more ground. No, we we keep moving forward. We keep progressing we keep standing firm as we're taking ground from the kingdom of darkness through the power of the lord this is what it means to stand it's not passive and just be like a brick wall and let satan come after you no it's defensively and offensively as we know the best defense sometimes is ought to be on the offensive this is what paul did remember paul in the book of acts whenever he went to a to a new city he just didn't go there and stand right he went there on the attack and he stand firm in the gospel and the power of the spirit moving him and he and he took land. And he stood and he took more ground and he stood through the proclamation of the gospel. This is how we are to stand. We are to stand firm. But it's not only defensive posture, it's also an offensive posture. And then also look at verse 11. It also says to whom we are standing against. Now we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the devil and his schemes and his plans and his strategies. Again, in our modern world, if we went out to Old Town and we asked that question, do you believe in demons or the devil? People are going to think you're nuts, right? They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to walk you. 
you know, lock you up in the crazy bin, but they, uh, but then they believe in aliens. So you make that connection, right? Yeah, demons, angels, not real. But yeah, there's aliens all around. Okay. Maybe the aliens are demons. I don't know. Do you ever think of that? Okay. Whole other topic, right? All right. But we understand that that's going to be their response. Why? Because they're blinded, as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. It says the, the prince of this world has blinded them. They can't see the realities of the spiritual warfare. You and I were there until the gospel to the power of God opened up our eyes. He took off the veil. So we get that. But here's a sad fact. It stepped into the church. The enemy has seeped in, has crept into the church. And some Christians, born again Christians, when asked the question, do you believe that that Satan demons are literally spiritual beings that have been fallen? They say no. In fact, a survey was taken and 30 percent of born again Christians think that the devil is just a metaphor for evil. He's just a symbol of evil. That's wrong. That's bad theology. You don't line up with what Jesus says in the Scriptures. Because Jesus didn't have a metaphor or didn't see a metaphor fall from heaven in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when Satan fell. Jesus, when He was tempted, He didn't have a conversation with a symbol of evil in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus didn't have a conversation with a metaphor when Satan came to ask for Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan's come to ask for you, but I've prayed for you. Satan is a real fallen angel. He's a real spiritual being. He's personable. He's wise. He's smart. He's cunning. He's alive and he's active. And he's also crafty. He's also crafty. Look at verse 11 again. We stand against the schemes or your Bible might say the wiles of the devil. He's, he's strategic. Satan is incredibly smart. Way smarter than me. Way smarter than you. Doesn't matter how many Bible degrees you have. He's smarter than all the Bible scholars in there. He's got thousands and thousands of years of experience on scheming against you and me. Against humanity. He knows how to tempt us. He knows our tendencies. He knows our tactics. And he knows how to attack us. He's incredibly smart. Sometimes, sometimes he comes at us like a roaring lion, as 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 5. But not always. And probably in my experience, as I look back in 20 plus years of ministry, he doesn't typically come out like a roaring lion. You know how he attacks you? You know how he attacks me? As a friend. As a friend. That's how he did it with Adam and Eve. He didn't come in guns a-blazing with Adam and Eve, did he? No, he came in as a, hey, conversation. Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve, what's up? How you doing? Man, great garden you guys got here. Awesome. Hey, you want to be like God? I can help you be like God. Wouldn't that be cool? You want to be like God? He comes in as a friend. Sometimes he comes in as an angel of light. He comes in as an angel of light, in particular in the church. I love what Martin Luther says. This is what he says about Satan. Martin Luther said this, when you look for the devil, don't forget to look in the pulpit. You can bet that's stung. That hit me between the eyes. 
And you look around the church universal in today's day and age. And you see that truth. When you look, look at the devil and some churches, some denominations, whole denominations. Satan's in the pulpit. This whole idea, these last couple of decade, uh, decades, Satan has come in as an angel of light to define love as acceptance and tolerance. Sometimes he comes in as an angel of light. Sometimes he comes in as a friend. Sometimes he comes in as a lion. When, when a lion, back to the illustration of a lion, when a lion goes on a hunt, when he comes on a herd of animals, typically, if you watch them on the, on the you know, National Geographic, typically they don't, just don't, they don't immediately run after the herd. What do they do? They get close enough, and then they kind of bed down. And what do they do? They watch. They scan. They assess. They look for the young ones that are just like naive to the danger. They look for the older folks that can't, don't have the juice that they used to have. And then, once they get in all that information, then what do they do? They strategically attack. And it's the same with you. It's the same with me. We're being watched constantly. We're being assessed constantly. The enemy is out there. Now, it's probably not Satan. Now, as we said, Satan is a created being. He can't, he's not like God. He's not like everywhere present. God is everywhere present. Satan can only be in one space at one time. So he's probably not looking at me. He's probably got more important people to come after. Same with you. But there's demons out there. His minions out there that are looking at Aaron Santini, assessing my life, assessing my weaknesses, and then starts to attack. Again, sometimes it's like a lion. Sometimes it's like a friend. Sometimes it's like an angel of light. So ask yourself this question. How would you attack you? How would you attack you. You know yourself better than anyone. How would you come after you? You can bet if you have things that come up in your mind right now, the enemy knows that. That's where you need to be on guard. That's where I need to be on guard. That's when we need to first pray, get on our knees, Lord, I need your strength, I need your power, I need your wisdom, I need your self-control. Lord, I need friends. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come around me, the brotherhood, the sisterhood to come around me, to engage with me, to protect with me. The spiritual battles we'll see next year is not to be fought one-on-one. -on -one. It's to be fought as a unit, as a team. Again, as the family of God. We'll talk about that a little bit more. How would you attack you? And again, I say demons, verse 12. Not only is it devil, but it's demons. As I already mentioned, look at 6.12. Again, when it talks about we wrestle against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers. Uh, there, there's a sense where this is talking about there's a, lot of, there's a lot of demons, there's a lot of angels out there. And we know there are because Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 and 9, that when Satan fell, he took about a third of the angels with him. Fallen angels, demons. So there's two-thirds good angels, but there's a third bad. And there's lots of them. Gazillions upon gazillions. No one knows the number, but there's a lot of them. And there, so it could mean that there's just, there's just a lot of them. I think it does, but I think Scripture also says that this, these phrases in verses 12, the way they're structured, is that Satan is the leader and he has a highly organized hierarchy of angels that are spread out all over this world. Different strengths, different ranks, different abilities, 
different tactics, and different targets. And I think you see this throughout Scripture when we think about the spiritual unseen realm that there are demons behind nations, governments, cities, organizations, individuals. We can look at Scriptures of Deuteronomy 32.8, Psalm 82, Daniel chapter 10, Luke 10.19, Luke 10. Uh, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, 1 Corinthians 2, 8, Revelation chapter 12. It, they're everywhere. And when you do a deep dive in the study of the spiritual realm, you're like, okay, they're everywhere. There's a third of them. The good news is there's two-thirds fighting on your side. And again, the good news is the, the battle's already been won. We walked as victors, not as victims. But I mean, think about our world. Of course, there's demons out there affecting our world at every level. How else do you explain the atrocities out there? How else do you explain the, the wickedness and the outright evil that we see and hear about on a daily basis? World wars, concentration camps. Slavery, human trafficking, suicide bombers, abortion clinics, child abuse, greed, etc., etc., etc. We see the evil. And we know that there's something else behind it besides men, besides women. Here's, here's a key. Wherever you see the image of God being under attack, you can be sure there's demonic forces behind it. Whenever you see the image of God under attack, i.e., you, me, image bearers of God under attack, there's demonic forces behind that. I'm not saying everyone's possessed by the devil or every organization. You know, you can still go to Target if you want and buy a swimsuit, okay? Don't get all freaked out. Now, if you want to not, that's okay, cool. I'm cool with that as well. We haven't gone to Target. But what I'm saying, but you get what I'm saying. The reality is that there's a battle out there. There are a lot of enemies out there. And we need to be on guard. And wherever the image of God is being under attack, whenever image bearers are being under attack, we can tell that there's something there. One reason why, again, we say, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When we look at these things, we got it's like, man, there's something else behind that. There's something else we're not seeing. But we're experiencing it in the physical realm. So this is important to note. I just want to highlight this real quick as we talk about that. Because we're like, holy cow, we look at the world and we can, get, we can get depressed real quick because we do see the evil, we do see the wickedness. We can't say like, man, it seems like the enemy is winning. But no, he's not. He's not winning. Again, he's already defeated. He's just trying to get his last prisons as possible. But here's what's important. Satan, his demons, the fallen angels are created beings. They are limited in presence. They are limited in power. They are limited in abilities. And they're limited in wisdom. Satan is not in the same category or on the same page as God himself. God is in total category by himself. He alone is all-knowing. He alone is all-powerful. He alone is everywhere at all times. I love how one put it, the devil is God's devil. The devil is on a leash, and God is holding that leash. 
And for the mystery behind it, the Lord lets him do what he does. But always, he's doing it for his glory and for our joy. That's tough to understand, but that's how he rolls. Quickly, I just want to end with this. Again, we're going to highlight more of this, getting the nitty-gritty next week. But I want us to focus on verse 12 again, on the word wrestle. I want, to, I want to take it from out there. Again, I want to bring it to in here. I want to bring it in here. Wrestle. Why does Paul use the term wrestle? Because a wrestling match is one-on-one. A wrestling match is personal. It's individual. It's personal. It takes on this form. And this is what I think Paul is saying. Be on your guard because the battle is not out there. It's in here. It's right in front of you. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready to wrestle, ready to fight. And again, since Genesis 3, this war has been waging. This war has been waging between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the best thing for you and me is to engage, is to engage. We engage first and foremost by being strengthened in the Lord. We engage internally, first and foremost, in our own hearts between the battle of the flesh and the spirit. We recognize that. We, we engage externally to the spiritual forces that are coming against us from the outside. We understand it's personal. It's not just out there, but it's in here. And so the call for us this morning is to be strong, to stand firm, and put on the full armor of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that Paul has given us this chapter. What a, what a great chapter. What a great reminder for many of us in here that we are in a war, that we are in a battle. And it's first and foremost not in the physical realm, but it flows from the spiritual realm. And so, Lord, may we fight on that front. May our tactics in which we engage in this war be first and foremost spiritual that then flows and informs the physical. I pray that if there's anyone in here that does not know you, that today, today would be the day of salvation. They would cross over from death to life. They would see their life. They would see the chaos. And they say, like, I've never bowed a knee to King Jesus. I pray that they would repent of their sin and trust in your life your death, and your resurrection. And by faith, they would bend their knee and call you Jesus, their Lord and Savior. And for those of us that have done that, Lord, may we just be reminded today that there's a very real reality that we are in the battle. And maybe we need to, again, reassess our hearts, our minds, and understand that we are in a spiritual warfare first and foremost before the physical. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.